What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. A Chicago Tribune investigation released in 2006 revealed groundbreaking evidence that Texas might have executed an innocent man in 1989. The defendant, Carlos, Carlos excuse me, De Luna was executed for the fatal stabbing of Texas convenience store clerk Wanda Lopez in 1983. The evidence uncovered by reporters Maurice Postley and Steve Mills cast doubt on DeLuna's guilt and points toward another man, Carlos Hernandez, who had a record of similar crimes and repeatedly confessed to the murder. The challenging thing about that case was both of those men looked almost identically the same. So when family members were shown pictures, they wrongfully testified that it was their relative. Could you imagine being falsely accused? Then could you imagine being falsely condemned in the courtroom? And then could you imagine being falsely executed by the pill or the electric chair. I mean, just think about that. You did nothing wrong, but you were declared guilty. Innocent, but found out to be wrong. Well, as we think about this particular case, we know that there are times when people are charged with something they did not do. And today, as we come to this scene and the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, when we come to the aspect of his death and these surrounding scenes, as I share with you, there are 25 scenes. We've looked at 15 so far, and now we're going to look at the next set of five. And as we see in this passage today, we see that the Son of God was as innocent as any man could ever be innocent, but he was found guilty as if he was guilty of wrongdoing. Today, the title of my message is this thought. The day Barabbas was pardoned and Jesus was condemned. The day Barabbas was pardoned and Jesus was condemned. As I remind you, we are kind of highlighting the the good news of Jesus Christ, his birth, his ministry, that is his miracles and his messages. And now we're looking at his death and we've looked at, at a few different scenes and we're looking, we're taking five different messages to, to highlight the surrounding scenes in his death. And today I want to remind you that my key thought for all five of these messages surrounding his death is the vicarious death of Christ means Jesus suffered on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity once and for all. And the term vicarious, it simply means to take the place of another for the benefit of the other. So when Jesus was proven to be guilty even though he was innocent, we know that he went to the cross to suffer in our place so that we could receive his glorious grace. And as we think about this 
man named Jesus. And as we think about this scene about Barabbas and about Jesus and Pilate and, and these Jewish people and the Sanhedrin and the elders and the chief priests and Caiaphas, the high priest, I begin to ask myself this question, what is the key central thought from this scene in the life of Christ? And here's the message I think that we can walk away with today. Jesus was innocent but condemned so guilty sinners could be pardoned. Jesus was innocent, but guilty, excuse me, but condemned so guilty sinners could be pardoned. My friends, Jesus took our punishment on that cross. Jesus took our pain on that cross. And Jesus took our sin and he placed it upon his shoulders so that we could be declared innocent and declared justified and declared pardoned once and for all. What a great God we serve. What a mighty God we serve today. As I shared with you before, there are four Gospels. Each of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, share a different perspective on the life of Christ. And not every scene is in every Gospel. And before we dive in here to this scene in verse 19, of course, I want to go back to verse 3. But before we go to verse 3, I want to draw your attention to a scene that is only found in Luke's, Luke's Gospel. So take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23, and we'll look at verses 6 to 7. Luke chapter 23, and we'll look at verse 6 down to verse 7. Now, if I could summarize this kind of trial, this is the, an interesting trial that Jesus had. So, so keep in mind, he goes before Annas, right? The previous high priest. Then they take him to Caiaphas, the acting high priest. Then he goes to Pilate. And Pilate recognizes that he is from Galilee and sends him to Herod. And then Herod sends him back to Pilate. And in Matthew's gospel, this scene of, of Herod is not mentioned there. So we go to Luke's gospel to discover how Pilate sends him to Herod. And look at verse number six. The Bible says, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a, a Galilean. And then in verse 7, as soon as he figured out that he was within Herod's jurisdiction, the Bible says here in verse 7 that he sends him to Herod, who himself was, was at Jerusalem at that time. Now this scene right here is when Jesus stands before Herod. So that is the first scene we're looking at today. Jesus standing before Herod. But then verse number 8, the Bible says that, that when Herod fixed his eyes upon Jesus, this one called the Christ, this one called Messiah, this one called God incarnate, he was happy. He was joyful. He was rejoicing and glad because he was expecting that Jesus was going to do a miracle. In fact, when I read verse number eight of Luke's gospel in chapter 23, I think about how Herod had this idea that Jesus was a magician. And he had this concept of sorcery and that Jesus was going to do some miracle or have some performance in, in front of him. But that's not what happened. Look at verse 8. The Bible says that, that he had desired to see him for a long time because he heard all the different things that he did. I mean, he heard all the miracles that Jesus allegedly performed. So he was anxious to see a miracle done by him. Maybe heal a man that was a leper. Maybe give sight to those who are blind. Herod was expecting to see a show. And so Herod, excited, happy and glad, begins to 
question Jesus about some of these things. And as Herod, you have to understand, Herod is kind of like the guy in charge over this region. And he asked Jesus a question and is expecting an answer. And what does Jesus say? Nothing. (laughs) So imagine standing before the governor of Virginia and the governor asking you a question and you say nothing to the governor. Verse 10, the Bible says that after he said nothing, then the chief priests and the scribes stood there and vehemently accused him. In other words, they began to intensely accuse him and violently accuse him. Remember, he was falsely accused. He was falsely condemned and he was falsely executed so guilty sinners like you and me could be pardoned. And then verse 11, the Bible says that Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him. So Herod goes from glad to now he is mad. He's a a mad little boy on his little throne in Jerusalem. And he looks at him and and he he begins to mock him and scoff him and, and make fun of him. And then he just sends him back to Pilate. So remember, Jesus went to Annas, the previous high priest, then goes to Caiaphas, the current high priest, stands before Pilate. Pilate realizes he's under Herod's jurisdiction and sends him to Herod. And Herod didn't see a show, makes fun of him, and now he goes back to Pilate. And that brings us back to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to look at the second scene today. And the second scene, it kind of involves right before Jesus gets back to Pilate, we see this second scene, the death of Judas. Judas dies a death of suicide. Look at verse number three. The Bible says that, that it names Judas. And, and listen, out of all the ways that you could be remembered, the epitaph on your grave, everything that, that could be said about you, this is what the epitaph that Judas has. Judas, the man who betrayed Jesus. That's not the way you want to be remembered, my friend. But here it says, then Judas, which had betrayed him, sees that he is now condemned. He realized that he was guilty of charging somebody who did nothing wrong. So in Judas's own mind, he's like, man, I'm the one guilty here, not Jesus. I betrayed him. And then the Bible says the word repented here. And this word in this verse means that he had remorse for what he did. Now, as I study this passage, I begin to ask myself a question. Was Judas a believer or was he not? Well, I guess ultimately we'll find out when we get to heaven, but I would lean towards that he was not a believer. And as we read this verse, I feel like in my own mind that it uses term repent in the context that he was sorrowful, that he condemned Jesus who is innocent and betrayed him. It wasn't a sense of sorrow, at least that I read, that he was broken and a sinner before God and he needed forgiveness. And the Bible says that he brings his 30 pieces of silver to these leaders and these elders and the chief priests. And he says, I have sinned. He says, I have done something wrong. He doesn't confess this before God. He confesses this before these Jewish leaders. And he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. 
Now these leaders knew Jesus was innocent, guilty of no wrongdoing. Judas knew it, but they betrayed him anyway. And then the Bible says here, this is so funny if you ask me, that they said to him, what is that to us? That's your problem, Judas, not ours. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's a religious leader? You go to them for advice, and they say, well, looks like you got yourself a problem. Go deal, deal with it yourself. And then the Bible says that he throws these pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And, and the Bible says in verse 5 that he went and hung himself. And you can go read Acts chapter 1, and you can see more about that. But, but here in, in verse 6, the Bible says that, that these chief priests, they take the pieces of silver, and they said, listen to this. They are being pharisaical here. They are, in a sense, trying to create a standard that God did not create. And here they say, it is not lawful. It is not right for us to put this money in the treasury. In other words, they're saying, this is not right for us to put this in the offering plate of the ministry in this context. And he says, so what we should do is buy a field. Can you imagine that philosophy and mentality. Here these guys are. They are literally making, they're about to make an innocent man die a death that he does not deserve. And they're here worried about using this money lawfully or not. That sounds just like a Pharisee and a scribe. And that is exactly what Jesus came to overthrow, that mentality. And here the Bible goes on to say in verse 7 that they took counsel and they buy a field the potter's field, to bury strangers in. Verse 8 says that they call this place the field of blood. And in verse number 9, now we see why all this has taken place. Because Jeremiah predicted this. And in fact, when you read this verse, if you're a student of the Bible, you'll realize that, that this is not just Jeremiah's words, but it's also Zechariah's words in Zechariah 11 and Jeremiah 19. So, so which one is he quoting and why is he saying Jeremiah? Well, maybe he's saying Jeremiah because Jeremiah was the major prophet and that is why he's referring to him there. Or maybe the writer Matthew here, it just is only recalling Jeremiah and just only puts Jeremiah down. But in his mind, that is at least what is being quoted here is referring back to Jeremiah and Zechariah. And then in verse number 10, the Bible says, that they gave for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Just quoting verse 9 and 10, Jeremiah and Zechariah. So we see that Jesus stands before Herod. Judas dies. But now, Jesus, the third scene, is Jesus is questioned by Pilate. Before we get into the scene, let's, let's remind ourselves of our key thought today. Jesus was innocent but condemned, so guilty sinners like you and me could be pardoned. Look at verse 11. From verse 11 through 14, we see the third scene today in this context of the death of Christ. Jesus is questioned by Pilate. Jesus is now standing before the governor, that is Pilate. So he, remember he went to Annas, then Caiaphas, then Pilate, then Herod. Now he's back to Pilate. And he says, uh, Pilate looks at him, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you said it. In other words, he's affirming what he said. Now, let's just pause right here. If all we did was read verse 11 through 14 of this gospel, I believe we would miss the entire context of this scene in Pilate and Jesus' conversation. 
So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. And in John chapter 18, verse 28, all the way down to verse 38, we see kind of John's perspective and John adds more to this conversation because Pilate and Jesus had more than this this one question and one response conversation. So John chapter uh, number 18 and verse 28, verse 28 down to verse 38. And in fact, John chapter 18 and verse 28 reminds us that these leaders, these elders and chief priests, the Sanhedrin, they're leading Jesus um, back down to Pilate. And, uh, and uh, they come before him in this hall of judgment, in this area that was designated to be called this hall of judgment. It was early, the Bible says, and, and um, the Bible says here that here they are being pharisaical again. They weren't permitted to step into that hall because it was the time of the Passover. And so there they didn't want to be, quote, defiled, even though they were already defiled in what they were doing. Verse 29 says, Pilate asked them a question. What accusation do you bring to me about this man named Jesus? And then verse 30, the Bible says, this is, this, you know somebody is up to something when they give you this kind of generic answer. They said, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought you, wouldn't have brought him before you. That's literally what they're saying right here. They're up to something. Sounds fishy if you ask me, and Pilate recognizes this. And the Bible says in verse number 31, Pilate says, well, why won't you take him and why won't you judge him according to your law? And the Jews, being pharisaical again, said, well, it is not lawful for us to put somebody to death. Oh, man. But we see all this is taking place to fulfill what was said previously about the death that he should die. Then verse 30, the Bible says that Pilate enters this hall of judgment again, and he calls Jesus and says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, you said it yourself. Or he says, did you, sayest thou this yourself, or did others tell it thee of me? In other words, are you saying this yourself, or has somebody else come to tell you this about me? And then Pilate says, am I a Jew? He says, your own nation. And the chief priests have delivered you to me. What do you say about this, Jesus? And then verse 36, Jesus answered, and he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate says, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I'm a king. In other words, you said I'm a king. And he he begins to elaborate, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. In other words, Pilate here is going to realize that Jesus, his, uh, his proclamation of being king is not a threat to the throne of Caesar. And so Pilate is going to try to dismiss this case. And then here's the famous question that Pilate asked, and he said, well, what is truth? In that moment, my friends, truth was standing before the man who is asking what truth is. The greatest source of truth of all time is not an encyclopedia found in the Library of Congress, but it is Jesus himself. Jesus said in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that the word of God is truth. The Bible says that 
that Jesus, in a sense, is the living word and the Bible is the written word and the Bible reveals to us the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So Jesus and his word is the greatest source of truth our world has ever seen. And so we will be foolish to throw this book called the Bible out. Take your Bibles and go back to Matthew 27. And we read about this scene here. And Matthew kind of records it like, haven't you heard what all these witnesses say about you in verse 13 of Matthew 27? And the Bible says that he never answered a word about that here in this scene. And then the governor says, Pilate is marveled greatly. And that brings us to the fourth scene today. Jesus is sentenced to die. Jesus stood before Herod. Judas died. Jesus is questioned by Pilate, but now he is going to be sentenced to die. Look at verse 15. The Bible says that at this feast, the governor was permitted to release a prisoner whom they chose. That is who the crowd, the people chose. And the Bible says, in fact, I can just see Pilate in his mind. He's like, well, Jesus is completely innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. So surely they're going to release a criminal. Surely. They'll release somebody who's a murderer and a malefactor and a thief. Surely they will release him. And look at verse number 16. They had the notable prisoner named Barabbas. In verse 17, Pilate looks to them and he says, Who will you, who will ye that I release unto you? Or in other words, he says, Who would you like for me to release? And then he said, Barabbas? Notice how he's setting this up. He says, Barabbas first. And then he, he, said, he doesn't just say Jesus, but he says, Jesus, who is called the Christ. In other words, you want me to release this guy, Barabbas, or Jesus, the one who is called the anointed one, Christ Messiah? He's setting it up, knowing that they are going to say Jesus. But you know the story. They actually do not say Jesus. And he knew in his mind, verse 18, that these Jewish leaders, these elders and chief priests, they were full of jealousy and envy over Jesus. Maybe because the crowds loved his messages. Maybe because he was doing all these miracles that they could not do. Our minds can only speculate here. But they were full of jealousy and envy towards this man named Jesus. And then in verse number 19, the Bible says that when he sat down on this judgment seat. Now let's just pause right here and think about this concept of the judgment seat. We know that, that one day as a Christian, I will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. There I will give an account for everything that I have said and done as a Christian and I'll be rewarded according thereto. And so will you. But then there's another judgment called the day of judgment where all those who are unbelievers, all those who do not know Jesus as their savior, and they will stand as Revelation 20 says at the great right throne judgment and there they will be declared guilty and will be condemned into a sentence of eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And as I read this, I'm reminded that that Jesus is about to take the judgment of God for humanity so that humanity can be redeemed from their sins. And the Bible says that when Pilate sits down at this judgment seat, he had his own. His wife comes in and he says, don't have anything to do with this righteous, just man named Jesus. He, she says, I suffered greatly in a dream that I had the other day. 
And then verse 20, the Bible says that the chief priests, they, they came and the elders, and, and literally the Bible says persuaded. Would you say persuade with me? Persuade. Say it again. Persuade. One more time, please. Persuade. This literally means that they went around and they convinced all the crowd of what they wanted. They were conniving. In other words, I can hear them in this tribal con- concept going around the crowd and be like, this Jesus guy, you know what he said? He, said, he told us that he was going to destroy this temple that took our fathers seven years to build, and he's going to build it in three days. Can you believe that? There's no way he could destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days when it took them seven years. And so here they're, they're going around, and they're just working this crowd up. Seventy of them, maybe even Caiaphas there, making 71. And so that's what it means when they were persuading this multitude. They were trying their best to convince them. But then check it out now. The Bible actually says destroy Jesus. So they were going around and they were saying, this guy, can you believe? He said he was going to destroy our temple. Well, I'll tell you what. Instead of destroying our temple, let's destroy him. And this word destroy, it literally means to, to annihilate. It means to get rid of for good. Verse 21, Pilate responds, which one is it? And they shouted, Barabbas. 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 In fact, in my mind here, I can just envision you're in a football stadium and and you're chanting, defense, 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 defense. But instead of the word defense, They're chanting and shouting, Barabbas, 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 Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And then he says, what shall I do with this man named Jesus the Christ? And they said, crucify, crucify, crucify. Now let's pause right here. Imagine Barabbas is not here. He's kind of in jail. So this is a mob. We're not told exactly how many, but it's it's a lot of people here this day. And so you can just imagine when, even if it's 70 people or a few hundred people are chanting, you're going to hear it a little ways. So just imagine Barabbas is in his jail cell. And so all he hears is Barabbas crucify, Barabbas crucify. So he's thinking, man, well, well, I guess this is it, guys. I'm going to say my goodbyes to all my inmates and comrades. We'll see you later. This is the end for me. And he comes out and he's a free man. And they take Jesus instead. I don't know, there's something special about this scene. Of course, I'm sure I heard this scene before the time I'm about to share with you. When I was 16 years old, I was at church camp at Emory and Henry College. And the speaker was preaching on this passage or this scene. And I don't know what it was, but, but this, the, the way he presented it took me back 2,000 years ago. And I, it was as if I was sitting there watching it all take place. And so many times we, we come into a, this passage and we're, we're, we're condemning these Jewish people. But I remind you that it is our sin that is shouting out Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Because Jesus came to die for guilty sinners like you and me. So I don't know where you might be today. But I hope that this passage will reveal to you that if you're lost, you need a Savior. And that if you are saved, that we need to get around the cross and stay near the cross every single day because God's mercy and love and forgiveness will never dry up in our life as a Christian.
Pilate begins to realize that there's a riot that's about to take place. And so he walks over to this place where there's some water, washes his hands, and says, my hands are free from an innocent man. Now, this does not mean that Pilate is, in a sense, responsible. But in his own mind, he's passing the buck on an innocent man being condemned upon the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, hear what they say. Can you believe they're saying this about the Messiah? Jesus. They said, let his blood be upon us and on our children. Commentators have come to this place and say that this could very well be the reason why the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman Empire. That God was delivering his judgment upon this nation. And for 2,000 years, God has had his judgment upon his chosen people. But I remind you today that according to Romans, God is not through with the Jewish people yet. God still has a plan and he's still going to fulfill the promises that he has previously made to them that is yet to take place. And we're beginning to see those promises fulfilled. And Jesus is going to one day soon split the eastern sky. But then verse 26. It says that they released Barabbas to the crowd. And the Bible says they scourged Jesus. This is a severe and violent punishment. That is done publicly and with a whip. Where they take this whip and they would chain a person to a pole and there they would kneel down and the whole point of a scourging or a flogging was, I'm sorry to be this blunt, but is to rip the flesh off the criminal's back. And so that is literally what they're doing with Jesus in this scourging. They're taking this whip and they're beating him and whipping him until his back is no longer recognizable. And in fact, throughout that scourging, it was so severe that after he w they were done with him, he was no longer recognizable. And then the Bible says that they delivered him to be crucified. And in our final scene today is the soldiers mocked Jesus. He stood before Herod. Judas died. He's questioned by a pilot. He's sentenced to death. And now the soldiers mock him in verses 27 to 31. The soldiers who are part of the governor's jurisdiction take Jesus and, and they bring him into this common hall. This is like an area within this palace that, that, that they're in. And the Bible says that they gathered unto him the entire band of soldiers, quite a few of them. And the Bible says that they stripped him. Most likely this means that they took all of his clothes off and he was bare naked. And they put on him a scarlet robe. That scarlet robe symbolized royalty, and they're doing this to mock him. All the soldiers are around. This is not in front of the crowds. This is just behind the scenes here. And the Bible says in verse 29 that, that after they put the scarlet robe on, they went out and took these thorns. Now, now maybe you, you, this is not just like a little briar bush. These are huge thorns, like the size of nails. And, and there are plants out there in the Middle East that are like this, and they made um, crowns out of this and what they did is they took this crown full of these giant thorns and they drove it into his skull makes you wonder how he even survived that and then they the bible says that they hand him a reed in his right hand and they begin to bow their knee before him and they begin to mock him saying hail king of the jews what they don't realize is one day those roman soldiers will bow down 
before the righteous, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, and they will say, all hail, Jesus is Lord. So my friends, you can either do that now in your life or you'll do it when it's too late in eternity. And then the Bible says in verse 30, if that wasn't enough, they begin to spit upon him and they took his reed and they begin to, to beat him in the head with the reed. And then verse 31, the Bible says, after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. Such a heavy passage. But it's the reality of what Jesus went through. For you and me. You know, as I was meditating in this passage, I, I came across a story about Charles Lee Buford, a native of Alabama who was convicted of a terrible crime on March the 10th of 1973 and sentenced to the death penalty. And he sat on death row for three years and eight months. One article says he was convicted and sentenced to death in 1978 for the robbery murder of former state senator and Wilcox County probate judge Roland Cooper, Jr., and on April the 30th, 1977, through an unofficial work release policy that permitted some private citizens in Wilcox County, Alabama, to check out prisoners to work at their private residences, 23-year-old Charles Buford, who was serving a short sentence in the county jail for auto theft, was sent to work at the Cooper residence. Later that evening, Mr. Buster, Mr. Buford was arrested for drunk driving while driving Mr. Cooper's car. Mr. Cooper's body was later discovered on his, in his garden. At the trial in 1978, the state introduced a statement in which Mr. Buford told police that he had drunk six beers, lost his temper when Mr. Cooper began to curse him for planting corn incorrectly and hit Cooper on the head with a garden tool, but that Cooper was alive when Buford left. He was convicted of intentional killing during the course of a robbery on March 10th, 1978 and sentenced to, the de to death on May 19th. 1978. On appeal, Mr. Buford's case was reversed and remanded for a new trial after Alabama's death penalty statute was reformed. At the retrial, the defense questioned a police officer about the destruction of a handwritten version of Mr. Buford's statement and argued that key portions of the statement had been left out of the typewritten version, including Mr. Buford's description of Cooper's demeanor and actions. After a two-hour deliberation, a Wilcox County jury acquitted Mr. Buford of all charges on November 12, 1981, and he was released. As I think about this story, I think about how you, I think about how myself, we are all on death row. And it's our sin that put us there. And we deserve God's punishment for all eternity because we've broken God's standard. But God in his infinite love towards you and me and all humanity, he came and clothed himself in flesh, took our guilt, our shame, and our sin and placed it upon himself on Calvary so that guilty sinners like you and me could experience freedom and be pardoned from every ounce of sin. 
And my friend, if that doesn't give you hope, if that doesn't give you joy, if that doesn't make you want to shout hallelujah, glory to God, amen, I don't know what will. The day Barabbas was pardoned and Jesus was condemned was a day that we realized Jesus was innocent but died a guilty sinner's death so we could be made free. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.